because I want to talk about the three times that Jacob encountered God. Starting at Genesis 27, Jacob was a rat bag. He's a bad boy. He, he was the kind of guy that if there was a family gathering, Jacob would be munching sandwiches in the corner and everybody else would be over there. Genesis 21, 40, uh, 27, 41. So Jacob hated, uh, so Esau hated Jacob. Why? Because he'd stolen the blessing of his father. He had stolen both the birthright and the blessing. And Esau, it's a really close-knit family. Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Rebecca came to her husband and said, let's pray together. No, she didn't. She said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, get out of here. Go to Laban in Haran, which is a long way away, but a relative, um, and find a wife, basically. So Rachel, uh, Rebecca, totally dishonestly says to Isaac, I'm suggesting I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth, the local talent. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life uh, be to me? Completely dishonest. That wasn't really the reason she was sending him away. So you start with a totally dysfunctional guy and a totally um, dysfunctional family. And the first thing I want to look at is the next chapter, Genesis 28. Um, I haven't got time to read it all, but as Jacob sets out on this run for his life, not knowing what the future holds, God meets him. Now, the key to it is that there was a ladder coming from heaven to earth. And what God is saying there to us in this particular season is that it's not us climbing up to heaven to try and find him. He comes to us. He comes to us. And so, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord of your father, uh, Abraham, your father, God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. I mean, this is ridiculous. God says, I know exactly who you are. Nothing in you disillusions me but I'm going to change you and give you a destiny. And simply what I want to say is God has that purpose for all of us. In God's way, in God's time, he has that purpose. So, what really struck Christy and myself, or one of the things that struck us reading through this recently in our Scripture Union notes, was this statement. Let me read it to you. God is the hero of the biblical narrative. It doesn't make any sense, this whole story, except for that one fact, that God is the hero, that God steps into our lives and works. The writer said, it's an important corrective to studies of Bible characters which easily become divorced from their original context and focus on moral lessons rather than God-centered truths. Well, Jacob, uh, Rebecca, Isaac, family was pretty messy. You should have done this. You should have done that. Now, the theme is God is the hero. As uh, another Old Testament scholar said, God makes and keeps his promises. A simple insight that summarizes the whole story, 
God makes and keeps his promises. He's still keeping his promises today, even if at some point that's difficult to see. Jacob's response in verses 20 to 22 is, is, is ridiculous. He says, well, God, if you do all the work, I might possibly give you 10%. And that really encourages me too, because basically God is saying, I can break into anybody's life. All I need is a response. Not the right response, but a response. If, if you and I, those of us who walk with the Lord a long time, if, if we think where we started, if you were God, would you have taken us on those terms? Now, some people had radical starts. My wife, who's a missionary kid born in Africa, when she was saved, wait for it, she had to go back to Oxford Street store and return stuff that she'd stolen. Uh, sometimes the Lord is radical like that. Other times he's like Jacob. And how important it is in this new normal, as everybody says, that we should be certain that he's a good father, that he's the hero. But let me say, it's not easy. And the Lord understands that. But for all of us, Father wants to use this time to step into our lives that we might know him better. Our Heavenly Father, the, the message of it all is God is the hero. The message of it all is he, he's not disillusioned by some of our reactions and performances. Because he, he, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy, David Pawson, went to be with the Lord recently. Um, we did a lot of work taking his materials and putting them into China. And it was a tremendous blessing amongst the Chinese. David Pawson once went to the Lord and said, Lord, people are being unkind about me. And the Lord's reply was, if they knew as much as I do, they'd be a lot more unkind. Uh, he, he knows us, he understands us, but he still loves us. He still loves us. He still comes in the person of Jesus down the ladder and reaches into our lives. And I don't know, they say... Some people said 24% of Brits are online to some kind of service. So there may be people listening today who've never met Jesus, who were in the place I was when I was young from a non-Christian family that had no Christian presence at all. If anybody mentioned church, and it wasn't Trinity, don't worry, it's a long time ago. If anybody mentioned church, uh, I can remember lying as a young boy because I just didn't want to go to church. It was so boring. And then God came. God stepped into my life, I found the Lord, and, and radically, radically changed by his love. Okay, so that's the first encounter that all of us must have, that saving encounter with the Lord where he doesn't become our father's God or our grandfather Abraham's God, he becomes our God. Secondly, secondly, in Genesis 32, Jacob meets the Lord again. And I should explain that Jacob has continued to be Jacob. You remember, he goes to Laban. Uh, two master cheats are engaged in cheating each other, um, stealing from each other, uh, giving the wrong wife. Let's not go there. Uh, all kinds of things. And the Lord meets him in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, in the second encounter. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, an angel, the Lord, I know not, touched the socket of his hip, of Jacob's hip. 
The socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him, and he said, let me go. The Lord said, let me go, for day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's a different Jacob. And I think at this point, Jacob has seen that my way is a bad way. My way almost gets me killed by Laban, and now I've got to make, meet Esau. And the last time I was around Esau 20 years ago, Esau's determination was to kill me. So he says, no, I, I need you, Lord, on your terms. I will not let you go except you bless me. And the Lord said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, tell me your name. And he said, why do you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob limps away from that encounter. That second encounter involves a surrender to the Lord. It involves saying, I like to put it this way, it's like we have this concept, some of us, that we're driving the car and Jesus is in the passenger seat because we need his protection and security and occasional answer to prayer and this kind of thing. And then we suddenly find as we get in the car that his idea is he's going to drive and we don't know where he's going. He doesn't need a sat-nav because he's got it planned. And at this point, I believe Jacob moves over and says, God, up to now, I have really messed this thing up. Now you drive. You take over. And his name is changed to Israel. And he even, in chapter 33, verse 20, he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, God, the God of Israel. It's, it's his God now, not his father's or his grandfather's. It's a God to whom he's surrendered. Now, Christine and I, it, it, it's really painful because I found this brilliant quote, and I can't find the original quote on my one terabyte Mac. But let me, let me run through it anyway. The, the guy we were reading said this, and it really rang some bells with me. He said this. He said, I think there are three stages in Christian experience. One is when we accept the Lord as Savior. Two is when we accept the Bible as the Word of God. We accept its authority for ethic, for morality, for behavior, for culture, for everything. And we begin to build our lives on the Word of God. Remember what Tim said, read your Bible and pray. Then he said, very interestingly, the third stage is a change of worldview, a change of worldview, where we begin to see our lives as belonging to the Lord, not the Lord as belonging to us to live our way. And that really struck me. It, it explains so much. How come some Christians behave as though there was no Bible? How come some Christians live for themselves, etc.? And I, I think in this stage, God changed Jacob's morality according to his invasion into his life, and he also changed Jacob's worldview. Now, there's, there's one character said this, uh, one writer. It's an ongoing process. It is a once and for all, but it's ongoing, this, this surrender to the Lord. And this is what he said. Jacob used prayer and 550 animals, not counting the camels, to meet Esau. So he was hedging both bets, wasn't he? He was working both ways. And 
Honestly, it takes time. There are habits and patterns in our lives that still will emerge. We just have to deal with them and learn more about the Lord. So that's the second encounter, when we surrender to God. For me, that was about six years after I became a Christian, became a Christian at the age of about 15 at Cambridge University. God came to me and said, I'm a savior. I want to be your Lord. And that was a battle. It was a real battle. But the amazing thing is he won. We did wrestle, but he won. Only after that did he call me to serve the Chinese people. It's like when I said, okay, my worldview changes. I was, um, first two years at Cambridge studied law, um, I suppose was going in that direction. And God said, let me give you my worldview for you. Um, I'm sure some of you know what happened. I was in hospital with appendicitis. Uh, in the early 60s, grabbed a book as I went in, happened to be about China. Uh, there was a black and white TV program, BBC, about the Chinese, and then a nurse walked in and said, have you ever thought of be being a missionary to China? And I know it sounds bizarre, but because that second experience had taken place, it was kind of, okay, I get it, right, that's what we do. That was 53 years ago, and we're still doing it. But then there's a third encounter, and in the third encounter, very simply, in chapter 35, he survived the Esau experience, and God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God says, I have you surrendered, now I want to give you your destiny. Now I want you to move into the right place so I can use you. Uh, may I suggest, I, I feel that is one of the things God is doing during this season. It gives us time to slow down and say, Lord, what is your purpose in my life? And for some of us, that's it, it, a big thing. For me, it was China, and it totally changed the rest of my life. 51 years ago, I went to Taiwan because you couldn't go to China. The team I work with to produce the materials for China is all Chinese. Uh, we're the only Caucasians in it, etc. We feel more at home, you know, if we're walking through a park and we see Chinese, in some ways you feel more at home chatting to them than, than forgive me, than, than your own people, because that's God's calling. But for some of us, it's, it's very different. Let, let me read you somebody's life, and uh, I've probably done this before, and see if you can guess who it is. What a difficult life. She was the 25th child in a dissenter's family. Though brilliant, she procured little education. In other words, she wasn't educated. Though strong-willed, she lived in a male-dominated age. 200, uh, no, 300 years ago, more than. She married an older man and bore him 19 children. Nine of them died, her house burned down, her barn fell down, her health failed, she lived with a wolf at the door, etc. She and her husband were strong-willed and argumentative. He once prayed for the then king, and she didn't say amen. She said, I don't believe the present king should be king. And he said, then you and I must part, for if we have two kings, we must have two beds. They separated to be reunited, reunited only after King's death, but still had 19 children. <laughs> you know who that is? Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Samuel and Charles Wesley. Oh, Samuel was the dad, wasn't he? John and Charles Wesley. Two men who probably impacted uh, 
the life of this country in their day more than any others. And still the Methodist Church remains. She was a mum, but she took seriously the training and the raising of her kids, even in that kind of situation. Her role as a mum, through her sons, changed the spiritual face of England. Very quickly, another one, almost finished. There was a guy called Robert Rakes. You ever heard of Robert Rakes? Lived down the road in Gloucester, 1735. Rich, given a newspaper by his father, goes into Gloucester slums to find a gardener, sees and is astonished at the condition of the children. He entered a slummy suburb of Gloucester to interview a prospective gardener. Swarms of children surrounded him. Rakes recoiled in horror at their fighting profanity, stench, gambling, and filth. He returned home shaken and almost immediately conceived a plan for Sunday schools. Rakes started Sunday schools with those kids. When it was successful, put it in his local Gloucester newspaper. Times of England picked it up. That is the birth of the Sunday School movement. Two very different people, two very different callings, but they were all there for God. Okay, I need to finish. Let me, let me give you a quote. It would be easier uh, if I could put it up, but it's difficult in these days. This is the quote. When is our search ended? In one sense, our search is finished when our hand stretched out to God in the name of his appointed mediator, Jesus Christ, feels the answering grasp and knows he is there. So in one sense, our search is ended at Jacob's first encounter when we meet God for ourselves. We stretch out our hand, we know he is there. But in another sense, the searching never ends, for the first discovery is quickly followed by another, and so it goes on as with Jacob, the second, the third, and there were others. To find out that he is, that God is, is the mere starting point of our search. We are lured on to explore what he is, and that search is never finished, and it grows more thrilling the further one proceeds. I, I love that quote. It's by a, a China missionary called Isabel Kuhn of many years ago. If you get her book by searching, read it. What she's saying is that one, from one side, when we meet the Lord, when he comes into our life, when we're born again, that's the end of the search, but it's not. Because from that, we, we search and search, getting to know him better and better, being more and more changed into his likeness. That, in my view, is a major point of this season. That we take the time, whether it's Wednesday night gatherings, whether it's Sunday morning gatherings, whether it's family prayer times, whether it's just going for a walk yourself in a lonely place and seeking the Lord, the Lord is inviting us to search from the basis of having found, to know him better, as Karis was saying earlier, to encounter him in a new way, because he comes down the ladder, he doesn't ask us to climb up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. Thank you that you're a God who comes. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that gives us when a man like Jacob, a cheat, a heel grabber, a deceiver, Lord, you could deal with him and change him into, at the end of his life, one who leaned upon his staff and blessed Pharaoh, 
the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Father, I ask that you quicken our hearts, quicken us in, in our confusion, quicken us in our difficulties, quicken us in the, the furloughs and the, the laid off and the difficulties and the struggles. Quicken us to search and encounter you again and again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.